invite you, just out of respect for God's word, would you stand as we read the scripture together? I love this story that I read about a student and a rabbi. And they were talking about, you know, placing God's word in our hearts. And the rabbi said, oh, no, 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 no. We place God's word upon our hearts. We, we don't have enough control to put it in our hearts. We put it upon our hearts. And then one day when our hearts break, those words tumble in. So let's receive these words from scripture. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is God's word. You may be seated. So in our scripture passage today, we see Jesus beginning his ministry in Galilee. He begins by calling his first disciples, Simon and Andrew and James and John, and he sets them on this path to follow him and become fishers of people. And the passage is rich with symbolism. They're called to leave fishing for themselves and move towards fishing for people, which is this picture of, of the call on our lives to live a life of service for the sake of others with God. When Jesus called them, it says they immediately left two things. Did you notice the two things they left? They left the boat and they left their father. This also is like a picture of our need to leave the expectations of others as we follow the voice of God and the imagery, just all the imagery of fishing reminds us of the patience required, the patience and the perseverance really in our spiritual journeys. Because if you have ever been fishing, you know there's a lot of waiting and there's a lot of watching, which is just this picture of the the slow work of God, that God is working in and through and behind the scenes of your life, even when you are not aware of it. But the passage also just reminds us of the power of Jesus and an encounter with him and what that can do to a human person, the transformative effect that Jesus and Jesus' message had on these first disciples because these were ordinary people leading ordinary lives. But when they heard Jesus, when they encountered Jesus, they were forever changed. And the passage seems to be highlighting that Jesus chose ordinary people to be his first disciples because he really wanted to demonstrate to everybody that regardless of background or social status, anyone could be a follower of God. He wanted to show that the message of God's love and salvation was not just for a select few. It was not just for the elite. It was not just for the religious or the religious leaders of the day, that this was for all people. 
So by choosing ordinary people like Simon and Andrew and, and James and John, who were fishermen, to not part of the religious or political elite of that day, Jesus was just breaking down barriers, which Jesus is regularly doing. He's breaking down barriers, making it clear, this message is for everyone. By choosing ordinary people, Jesus is showing it's not about your background. You don't have to have been to seminary. You don't have to be elite. You don't have to be a religious leader of some kind. That really, all Jesus was looking for is a willingness to take him up on his invitation to come follow me. I remember having a, okay, this is kind of cheesy, but I remember having a youth leader who one time said, people who want to see God work through their lives need to be acronym FAT. Some of you heard this, faithful, available teacher. I know, teachable, faithful, available, teachable. It's hokey. It's definitely hokey, but it's memorable, right? (laughs) It's definitely memorable, and it's true, right? Not perfect people. Like, God was not looking, Jesus was not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for moral or seminary-trained people. Just faithful people, available people, teachable people. Jesus did not choose the most educated. He did not choose the most powerful Jesus chose those who were willing to put their trust in him, to leave behind their old ways, to follow him. And he knew that through these original disciples, the message of his love was going to spread through the world, that they would be the ones to carry the good news of his death and resurrection to the ends of the earth. God always chooses ordinary people. Now, we live in a time where you could say, like, ordinariness, it's almost like a four-letter word. Nobody wants to be ordinary. I mean, you don't go to a commencement speech at a graduation and hear the speaker say, now that you have, you know, earned this degree, go get an ordinary job, find an ordinary neighborhood, have an ordinary family, and be an ordinary human. No, that's not what we hear, right? What we hear at commencement speeches is like, you are super special, and you have a super special gift inside you, so go find that special gift and develop it and own it and monetize it, and then you will offer your extraordinariness to the world. That's what we hear, right? Like, nobody wants ordinary In uh, her fabulous book (laughs) called Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church, Caitlin Beatty shows how this desire for fame has infiltrated the church. She talks about the difference in this book between fame and influence, and I found it so fascinating. She, um, She says there's a danger in fame, both for the person seeking it, in a faith community context especially, she's kind of talking about, but um, there's a danger for the person seeking it, but there's also a danger for the people seeking the communities that expect it. She says that there's like a warping of the soul that seems to happen around, and this is how she defines the difference between fame and influence. She says, fame is power without Proximity. Power without proximity. And uh, man, we don't have to look very far in our world to see that. We don't have to look very far in the church to see that, right? Power without proximity. But Jesus 
I mean, it's almost like not only did he not seek fame, he was like power with proximity. Not only did he not seek it, it, it's almost like he's avoiding it. In several instances, almost like at every turn, he's avoiding it, you know, walking through the crowd, that kind of stuff. The message of scripture in this passage and elsewhere in the Bible, it's rather different than our presently fame-obsessed culture. Because here's the, like, God would say, you and I, that you have inherent worth before you do anything. How's that for a commencement speech, right? Your worthiness is not based on your performance or your platform or your popularity or the persona that you put out there. Your worthiness is not worth, it's not based on your proving yourself worthy. It's rooted in what God says about you, that the truest thing about you is not anything you do externally, that the truest thing about you is received. It's It's what God says about you. Which echoes back to why we can't put scripture in our hearts. It's like upon our hearts. And then our hearts break, right? They break and that tumbles in. The mystery of divine love comes tumbling in. In those moments when our hearts are broken. And the truth of what God says about you, that you are my beloved, precious in my eyes, is it comes tumbling in, not because of anything you have done. See, it's when we're broken and vulnerable and hurting and, and when our hearts break open that we finally set aside all those externals and can actually receive what God's been, been longing for us to receive all along, which is why very often the most rich seasons spiritually are the most difficult seasons in life. It's almost like that's the ground when our hearts are are open. When it comes to living a life of meaning and purpose, it's not on you to go figure out. It's more about a humility that recognizes God is already at work in this world he so dearly loves. And in humility, when you recognize that God is already at work in this world, You can join what God is already doing. That creates a sort of servant leader in any context. Because it's not about me establishing a platform and a persona. It's about God's already at work. And in humility, I get to join that work that God is already up to in the world. And my worth, my worthiness, my belonging, it's not based on any of the externals. It's already been confirmed and affirmed God's voice over me. And it creates a a servant leader in a fame-obsessed world. God just loves to work through ordinary people who are faithful and available and teachable, as hokey as that is. People really who are surrendered to love. Because really, that is when God's power shines forth most. When God's shining most bright in the world, it's through ordinary people. So, here are the first, first disciples in this passage, ordinary people living ordinary lives, but when they heard Jesus' message, when they encountered Jesus, they're forever changed. And it's a reminder to us, this still happens. This still happens today. Christ can still have a profound impact on our lives, just like those early disciples. And just like those early disciples, we too will be called 
to leave behind some things, to follow Christ, to become fishers of people, to be other-oriented in the work that we do and the way that we live. So your mind kind of gets turning, like, what does it look like? To be a servant-oriented leader, joining God in his work, if you're a small business owner, what does that look like? If you're a teacher, what does that look like to be other-oriented? If you're a CEO, what, what does that look like to leave behind what everyone has perhaps taught you about what that ought to mean and to follow the call of Jesus? Are we open to the transformative power of Christ in our lives? Will we have that same courage and faith that those early disciples had? Scripture and history are just full of examples of ordinary people who followed Jesus. I mean, you think about Mary Magdalene. The Bible says about her that she was possessed by like seven demons. And with that history, she's actually the first one. The first one to be witness, to give voice to the resurrection. You think about the poor widow, that story that shows up in a couple gospels where Jesus and the disciples are in the temple and this poor widow comes and puts a couple coins offering to God and Jesus huddles his disciples together and says, that woman has given more than anyone who is rich because I don't see how people see. She, out of sheer desperation for God, gave all she had while the the rich here were kind of given a little tip, you know? All throughout history, I mean, even you think about someone like St. Augustine, I mean, he was born, I think, 354 AD in northern Africa, very poor, total wild child, until like age 30-something, when God gets a hold of his heart. Ordinary people who encounter an extraordinary God, are forever changed. This is how God does his work. These are all ordinary people who have a unique story of impact. The call to follow Jesus is not just, it's not just about what we do with our lives. It is also about who we become. Perhaps the most important work that God is doing in you right now is not what he's doing through you. Perhaps the most important work that God is up to in your life right now is in you. Who are you becoming? And who you are becoming? It's really God's most important work in your life. I mean, we tend to focus all our time and attention on what we're doing, what we're accomplishing, you know, the projects in our lives, the achievements, the, the accumulation of possessions, the, you know, networking with people. We tend to, you know, focus on these things like our, the development of our careers. But the call to follow Jesus is not just about what we do. It's also about who we become. So we can ask, like, are you becoming a person of prayer? Are you growing in generosity? Are you growing in the fruit of God's spirit? Are you growing in love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control? Who are you becoming? Because if you want to know really like who you are becoming, 
One place to look is to look at your desires. Like, what is it that your heart desires if you're really honest? Jesus would sometimes just say to people, what do you want? Because our wants, our desires, they kind of reveal what and who we actually worship. I read this great story about a farmer from a rural part of the country who came to visit a relative in the city and they were spending time together and it was you know, the chaos and confusion and hubbub of the, the city in rush hour. They're, they're taking a walk in the city and this fire truck goes by and the siren is blazing and the, right at that moment, the farmer says to his relative, who is like a you know, curated you know, city dweller has got the city thing down, he says, oh, I hear a cricket over yonder. And the relative is like, how can you hear a cricket in the middle of this city, in the middle of this rush hour, in the middle of this siren blazing? How could you hear that? How could you possibly hear that? And the farmer says, I suppose that you, I figure, he says, I figure you hear what you're listening for. I figure you hear what you're listening for. And then at that moment, he takes some coins out of his pocket, and he just kind of imperceptibly, like, just kind of drops them on the sidewalk, and they make this very faint, like, chink, chink, you know, against the sidewalk. And at that moment, children stop, heads turn, people notice. I figure you hear what you're listening for, and that story, it rings true, doesn't it? Like, most of us, would hear the coins over the crickets. Most of us would do that. I figure you hear what you're listening for. That is true for us as followers of God in the way of Jesus. Jesus would say to people, what do you want? What are you looking for? And this is the challenge before us still today. Like, what are you looking for? Who are you listening for? What are you valuing most in your life? And then what are we valuing most in our collective life together here? Those are good questions for us to ask. Are we attuning ourselves to the voice of Jesus who says, come follow me, which will mean leaving some things? Or are we attuning ourselves to the voice of something or someone else. I figure you hear what you're listening for. Maybe we hear the crickets. Maybe we hear the coins. May we, though, hear the voice of Jesus who is beckoning us in love to leave everything and follow him. What does that look like? Let's pray together as we close. And I'd invite you, since we are gathered in this space, that we call a sanctuary for worship to just take a moment to take a couple of deep breaths in and out and in and out. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we breathe in deep your presence. We breathe out 
the stress and anxiety we hold. We breathe in belonging. We breathe out all the striving. We breathe in the mystery of your love. And we breathe out our need for certitude, for certainty. God, we want to hear your voice and follow you. And yet so often in the just cacophony of city living, all we hear is the sirens, all we hear is the coins clinking against the sidewalk. Would you help us to hear the crickets, the sound of your voice, the love that you're extending to us, the belonging that we have in you? Would you help us to live settled into those most real of realities? And would you help all the rest to just sort of like fall away like the matrix? Just, just, just. It's not the main thing. Help us to live rooted and centered in you. Help us to follow you with abandon. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.